So our Father in heaven, our glad declaration this morning before you and before those around us is Jesus is better. We have no other king than Jesus, Lord of all. And our great joy this morning is that we gather under his banner. We're not here because we've earned it or because we deserve it. We're here because Jesus is better. And our prayers that you would make our hearts believe. Use the singing of your word, the praying of your word, the preaching of your word to awaken our hearts to Christ. This week, God, as we remembered the day on which the troops landed in Normandy, we give thanks to you, O God, for those men and women who have served our country so courageously. We give thanks to you for the men and women who served that day. We give thanks to you for the men and women who have served since that day. And we give thanks to you for the men and women who even today are serving our country and protecting our freedoms. It is no small freedom that we enjoy. Father, would you use Catalyst Church as a place where our servicemen and women and their families would be welcomed and engaged with the gospel. Whether we have a short time or a long time with them, we ask that you would make it a fruitful time. And God, we thank you for doing that. Through deployments and through moves, we thank you for doing that here. And God, would you help us to, to steward that opportunity well and to send them off well. And that's our prayer not now, God, as we open up your word. Make it a fruitful time and send us out well. Call us to repentance and faith. Show us ways that we can live for the glory of Christ. Spirit, come, convict us of our sin and show us the greatness of Christ our Savior. It's in Jesus' precious and powerful name that we pray. Amen. Well, friends, welcome again to Catalyst Church. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, you can turn to Acts chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. Acts chapter 5. And I want to talk to you this morning about church growth. Church growth. And, and specifically, I'm talking in terms of an upcoming move. If you're new here at Catalyst Church, we've got about a month and a half or so left here at, Catalyst, uh, at this location. And then we're going to be moving uh, to 311 Selden Road. Uh, August uh, 1st is, or the first Sunday in August, we'll hold our first sun, uh, service there. It may not be August 1st. I think it's the 4th. Uh, we'll hold, you can show up August 1st if you want, but you'll be alone. Um, uh, so August, we're moving there and we are excited. Man, I'm thrilled. I am excited to get back to a seven minute walk within the campus of uh, CNU and to be able to minister to 5,000 college students there on that campus. I'm excited to be in an actual neighborhood. This is the first time our church will be in a neighborhood. We've been in a coffee shop, uh, which was in a shopping center. We've been in um, a church, which was along a major thoroughway. Uh, and um, we've been here, which, if you noticed, uh, is not in a neighborhood. And so we are excited. 2,200 homes within a one-mile radius of our new location. A lot of great opportunity for ministry there. And we're excited. And so we're talking through, this, through the, the book of Acts, looking at selected passages in the book of Acts. And we're talking about church growth. And so so we've got this upcoming move, and, and if I haven't said it, let me go ahead and say it. I hope you make the move with us. I hope you make the move with us. I hope you transition with us well to this new location. You see all that the Lord's going to do. And we're asking this question in this series. What would it look like for you to be a growing part of a growing church? What would it look like for you to be a growing part of a growing church. The book of Acts is the story of the living Christ building his church. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, says that he wrote uh, his first book, which was the Gospel of Luke. He, he wrote that so that this guy named Theophilus would know all that Jesus began to do and teach. 
So Luke is sort of part one of Jesus' story, according to the author Luke. And Luke says, I wanted you to know all that Jesus began to do and teach. And the assumption or the implication is that in the book of Acts, he's talking about all that the Lord Jesus Christ continues to do and teach. And so what we see in the book of Acts is the story of the living Christ building his church. And last week we saw that the church that grows, grows together. And we grow in community with one another. And we were warned of the danger of isolation. You, Christian, are not meant to drift into isolation. But that's where we all drift, right? We like to pull into our, um, pull our car into our garage, shut the door behind us, and then go inside and protect ourselves from the outside world. You're not meant to drift into isolation. You're meant to be and pursue great gospel-centered community. And so we saw last week that the church that grows, grows together. And this week, we're going to see that the church that grows, grows outward. It grows outward. It grows in impact in its community. It grows in impact in its ministry. It grows in reach and an impact to those around us. And before we jump into Acts, I want to remind you, uh, two or three weeks ago, we prayed for uh, Vince Blueball. Uh, Vince is a dear friend who came and preached a couple weeks ago and uh, told you guys about some heart conditions that he had. Uh, he had some tests this past week, and everything came back really good, really good. And so he specifically texted me and said, hey, would you tell the body of Catalyst, thank you for their prayers, man. He loves you guys, um, and he was praising God for a good report. So thank you for your prayers. So in Acts, what we're going to see is we saw last week the church that grows grows together, and this week we're going to see the church that grows grows outward grows outward that's what we're going to see this morning in acts chapter five in acts chapter one we see the ascension of jesus where he rises right and goes to, to heaven and then in acts chapter two we see pentecost which is today in our liturgical calendar uh, for many of our uh, brothers and sisters around the world and we saw that the church was born in acts chapter c we uh, acts chapter c Acts chapter 3, we see uh, a lame beggar is healed, and we see Peter preach um, in Solomon's portico, this place where they gathered. And then in Acts chapter 4, we see Peter and John arrested, and the church displayed great boldness and unity in prayer. And then in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, is one of those passages where if I could take something out of the Bible, to be honest with you, I'd be tempted with Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, it, it's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And we're not going to look at it in depth this morning, but, but it's the story of Ananias and Sapphira, which is this couple that lie to the church. And they lie about money. And they lie to Peter. And Peter says, why would you lie to the Holy Spirit? And God, in an act of severity, kills them. Like, on the spot, kills them. Like, no discussion, no question and answer session, no, hey, let's talk about it. It's just, a, it's just an act of swift severity. But what we see in Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 12, right after that, is we see that on the heels of the display of God's severity in verses 1 through 11 are many displays of his goodness, beginning in verse 12. We see a display of his severity in verses 1 through 11. But beginning in verse 12, we see many displays of his goodness. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. You can tell how right after this, or right before this, you had Ananias and Sapphira and this act of severity, this display of God's severity. And now God is saying, and his goodness, and his goodness, many, many signs and wonders of his goodness. Now, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to ask the question, what are these signs and wonders and what do they have to do with us? 
right? And we're going to see that they're in part, they're, they're in response to prayer. So prayer has something to do with these signs and wonders. We're going to see that they, uh, Luke uses the word performance. So these signs and wonders are a performance. They're God performing, sort of as though he's on a stage displaying and performing. And we're going to see that there's a call to participation. So if you're Southern Baptist like me and you love three-point alliterated sermons, have I got a gift for you this morning, right? Uh, prayer. Prayer, performance, and participation. We're, that's, we're not going to follow that outline, but we could. Um, so what we're going to see, and I don't want you to miss this. So we've got this screen up on the, this, this uh, verse up on the screen, these verses. This is an answer to the prayer that the church had prayed in Acts chapter 4. The, the signs and wonders of Acts chapter 5 are a direct response and answer to the prayers that the church prayed in Acts chapter 4. Look, you can see it right there. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they're all together. Acts chapter 4, where did that come from? And now, Lord, this is the persecuted church praying. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Don't miss this. The the signs and wonders of Acts chapter 5 are a result of the prayers of Acts chapter 4. And we're going to ask the question in just a few minutes. What prayers are you praying today that just might bear fruit tomorrow? What prayers are you praying today that just might bear fruit tomorrow? Somebody asked me one time, they said, Jeff, if all of your prayers for the last week were answered, how many people would be saved? How many missionaries would be sent out? How many churches would be planted? How many, how much ministry would be done? How much healing would take place? If, if all of your prayers from last week were answered and, oh, you know, if you're like me, what you, you start to shuffle your, your feet and you know, your question like that kind of reveals the, the, the absence of your prayers. You're like, well, what had happened was right. Um, and you realize you got, you got no good excuses. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. These signs and wonders. So we see that there are response to the prayer that the church had prayed in Acts chapter four. And in Acts chapter 5, we see a couple of phrases that help us understand the nature of these signs and wonders. Luke says that they were done by the hands of the apostles. These signs and wonders were done by the hands of the apostles. Now, look at your hands, right? I mean, they're pretty simple. Not much to them. Uh, there's n- nothing fancy about them, right? But that's, Luke is saying it was through their hands, and they didn't have, like, super spiritual hands, Right? And they, they didn't have like extra spiritual fingers, right? They, they're just like you and I, right? And, and, but, but these signs and wonders were done by the hands of the apostles. And let's not miss this again. The prayer of Acts chapter 4 done through the hands of the apostles. It is not a contradiction to pray in Acts chapter 4 for something and then to see the hands of the apostles involved in it in Acts chapter 5, Right? God didn't use some sort of supernatural spiritual means, you know, extra spiritual means to accomplish this prayer. He used the hands of the apostles. What would it look like for your hands, your hands to be the answers to somebody's prayer? What would it look like for your hands to be the means that God used to, 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 to answer somebody's prayer? That's what we're seeing. Yes, they prayed for it in Acts chapter 4. And yes, they lived it. They acted the miracle, to borrow a phrase from somebody, in Acts chapter 5. So the, they were done by the hands of the apostles. They were done, if we're working our way backwards through this, this sentence, they were done among the people. 
among the people, meaning the church was involved. They were out in the midst of the community. They were, they were plugged in. We, we tend to get into our, our Christian bubbles, right? And, and our Christian subcultures. And we realize that it's been, if we can go way too long and realize we haven't hung out with a non-Christian in a long time. That's not good, right? So they were done among the people. They were done regularly, regularly. There was a consistency as they go. And there were many of them done by the church. There were many of them done. So that's, we've got, we're putting the pieces together to these signs and wonders. Now, many signs and wonders were, were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Again, they, they didn't happen when they all gathered together. They gathered, they happened when they were scattered. It's interesting. As you read the book of Acts, you realize that 39 out of the 40 miracles in the book of Acts, 39 out of the 40 miracles in the book of Acts did not happen at the church gathering as we know it. 39 out of the 40 miracles in the book of Acts happened when, when the disciples and the apostles were just scattered going about everyday life. They happened when they were at work. They, they happened when they were um, in the marketplace. They happened when they were at jail, in jail. Um, I mean, we're not planning on going there, but, you know, uh, they, they did. But what we see is that it's not contingent on the local gathering here, right? I mean, it's not, it's not like God says, okay, I'm really going to move when you get together. But when you scatter, I'm out, right? He's with us. He's with us. According to the book of Acts, God is more likely to perform a miracle in your workplace than he is on our Sunday morning hour. But are we looking for him? Are we being his hands and feet? Are we praying for these signs and miracles? These signs and wonders. So what are these signs and wonders and how are we to think about them? How are we to describe them? I I tried to kind of put these thoughts together into a, a sentence that might help us think about it well. Signs and wonders are this. They are God performing his power. Right? Remember, it was an act of prayer. So this is not something they could accomplish on their own. It was an act of prayer. God performing his power through his people, right? Done through the hands of the apostles. God performing his power through his people to prove the truthfulness of his word. Remember, they were going to preach the word with all boldness for the glory of his son, for the name of Jesus. The goal is not that people would think highly about Jeff Mingy. The goal is not that people would think highly about Catalyst Church. The goal is absolutely and always that people would marvel at Christ. We want to be a church that helps people everywhere marvel at Christ in all of life. Which means if they walk away from an interaction with Catalyst Church and they say, man, that's an awesome church. But they don't walk away thinking, man, they have an awesome Christ. We have failed them. We have failed them. Again, if I, if I preach to you and you're like, man, that Jeff Mingy, that, that dude can preach. I mean, that dude can preach. I mean, like flat preach. I mean, he's a really good preacher. And you might go on for a while just talking about that, you know. Um, I mean, really, stop, stop, stop. But, uh, but if you walk away thinking, Jeff Mingy's a great preacher, but you don't walk away realizing, oh, man, Jeff Mingy's got a great Savior, I failed you. And I'm really not that good of a preacher at the end of it all, right? The goal is not that people would think highly of us for our glory. The goal is the glory of his son. In other words, a simple way to say it is these signs and wonders are God on display through you. That's what they are. They're God on display through you. He's performing these signs and wonders on the stage of your life to the theater of the world. He's displaying his goodness and his kindness and his love and his mercy and his majesty and his might and all of it to a watching world. Displaying. That's what it's all about. It's about displaying a picture of a better kingdom yet to come. Some Christians paint a dismal picture of their king and his kingdom. May it not be so with you. 
May it not be so with you. May you paint a picture of Christ, our king and his coming kingdom that makes other people say, man, that guy really does. That girl really does believe that this is good news that brings great joy to all people. That's what it is. The gospel is good news. The gospel is good news. So that's what these signs and wonders are. They're God performing his power through his people to prove the truthfulness of his word for the glory of his son. They're God on display through you. And Acts chapter 5 verse 12 says that many of these signs and wonders were being done. Many, many of these signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Again, in response to the prayer of Acts chapter 4. So let me just ask you a couple questions. Have you seen... Have you seen or have you shown any evidence of the coming kingdom? Have you seen any evidence of the coming kingdom? Christ, our conquering king, uh, who's saving sinners. Have you seen people come to Christ? Have you been baptized to display to a watching world that you're part of this new kingdom? Have you seen discipleship taking place where one person is helping another person live in line with the coming kingdom? That's what discipleship is. Have you seen or been part of evangelism or helping somebody that is caught up in the kingdom of this world realize that there's another and a better kingdom altogether? Have you seen or have you shown any evidence of this coming kingdom? This week, um, this past week, I stopped by Riverside Elementary School, uh, which is right across the street from our new location. Uh, about 500 elementary school students go there. And, and I swung by, I stopped in the office and said, hey, we're a local church. We're going to be moving to the area in August. Um, what, what, can we buy you guys breakfast? And they said, no, 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 right now. They didn't say that. Um, they said, yeah, absolutely. And I said, okay, well, what day? And we, we decided Wednesday, we're going to bring you breakfast on Wednesday. So we gathered up a bunch of bagels and a bunch of donuts and we just took them to the local elementary school. And it was our simple way of saying, Hey, we love you and we are for you and we are with you and we're coming for you and we're coming for you unapologetically, we're going to be knocking on your door. You're going to be sick and tired of hearing from us, but you're going to know this, that church cares. That church cares. That's what we're meant to do. We're meant to be so relentless in our pursuit of our neighbors and our lost, our lost friends and, and people that don't know the Lord that they say, man, I don't know if I believe what they believe, but I know they believe it. I know they believe it. And they believe it so much that they're coming for me. It, Christian, if, if, if there's not somebody in your life who is sick and tired of you texting them or reaching out to them or inviting them to lunch or caring for them and bringing them to dinner. If there's not somebody in your life that is sick and tired of you reaching out, you're not reaching out enough, right? You're not reaching out enough. That's uh, one, one uh, friend of mine, um, uh, Algernon Tennyson, used to say that the, the church should be like the mafia. Once you're in, it's really hard to get out, Right? It's some truth. Like that's what. So so what, that's what we're seeing here is these signs and, and wonders are, are evidence of a coming kingdom, outreach to the community, ministry from one person to another, God Himself saving people. Us celebrate that in, in baptism. And so what we're seeing is we're, we're recognizing this. We're recognizing this. Now we need to we need to recognize attention. Our signs and wonders for today. Are they for today? Or was this an Acts chapter 4 thing? Or should we kind of say, oh, hold on, hold on. Now, I, I, again, I said I want to recognize attention because I do believe it's attention. If there is a Holy Spirit-driven wind blowing today that is resulting in supernatural signs and wonders, I want to be a part of it. If it's happening, I want to be a part of it, right? I, I don't want to miss out on what God's doing. 
I don't want to get in the way of it. I don't want him to say, man, I used all these churches in Newport News, but Catalyst Church, they just didn't believe me. Right? I don't want that to happen. And at the same time, I don't want us to lose our biblical bearings and chase every uh, experience thinking that it's uh, spiritually good. Every spiritual experience is not spiritually good. Right? Every spiritual experience is not spiritually good. There is a spiritually bad world, spiritually bad uh, momentum. And so we want to we recognize that. We want to honor the uniqueness of Jesus and, and the apostles. And we want to recognize that God is God and we are not. And he sends his spirit as his, at his will and we can't control him. So if, if I asked you, are you open to, to God doing signs and wonders in and through your life today? If I asked you, are you open to the idea of God performing signs and wonders through you and in you and around you? I think many of you would say a hesitant. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Right. I think you you, had that kind of that charismatic with a seatbelt, like cautious. But yeah, you know, uh, uh, I'm really excited, but I'm slow because I'm nervous. Uh, Like, uh, you know, that kind of probably a hesitant. Yes. If I ask you, are you open to God doing signs and wonders through you or around you? Probably a hesitant. Yes. But if I asked you, are you praying for God to do signs and wonders in you and through you? Then all of a sudden it becomes an absent no. An absent no. John Piper points out, one pastor points out that 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 prayer in Acts chapter four proves that the early church, they were not just open to signs and wonders. They were desperate for them. They were desperate for them. Could it be that the reason that many churches today, ourselves included, are not seeing the momentum of Acts chapter five is that we're not broken in prayer like Acts chapter four? What prayers could we begin praying today that God might answer tomorrow? What prayers could you begin praying today? What are the relationships that you long to see restored? That you know there's nothing else you can do. You've tried everything you you can do. There's nothing else. You need God to move. What prayers, what what relationships could you pray for that God might reconcile tomorrow? Who who do you know that is far from the Lord today that you want to pray them into the kingdom tomorrow? What, what, what opportunities for outreach are there that you want to begin praying for now? You're praying for these signs and wonders to be performed. And the goal of these signs and wonders is people coming to faith. 17 times in the book of Acts, a miracle helps someone come to Christ in their conversion. Sometimes that's why in my concluding prayer, I'll pray, God, if there's anybody in this room that does not know Christ as their savior, would you do whatever it takes to bring them to Christ? That's one of my ways of praying for God to do signs and wonders in your life if you're not a Christian. Whatever it takes. That's a blank check to God, which is always really dangerous to give, right? But it's a prayer that God would move. Again, this goes back to the prayer in Acts chapter 4. What were they going to do while God performed signs and wonders? They were going to continue to speak your word with all boldness. That's how people were being saved. These signs and wonders played a supporting role to the work of the word. The work of the word. The word was doing the work. The prayer was supporting the work. The signs and wonders were supporting actors and actresses. The word was the, the main character. What We get into trouble when we reverse those. 
And we say, God, I just want an experience. I just want an experience. And we forget about his word. And we put the experience at the front and his word at the back. That's not how it's meant to be. In Acts, it's, it's, it's the result, right? The, the signs and wonders, the experiences were supporting actors and actresses to the impact of the word. So let's not pray for signs and wonders if we're not willing to speak his word, to let his word spread in influence. Let's not pray for God to do something if we're not going to live like he's already done something and said something in his word. So what happens after uh, they, they, they begin to see these signs and wonders? What happens? Verse 13, none of the rest... None of the rest, it's everybody else in the community, none of the rest dared join them. It's an odd passage to look at on a series in church growth. But the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. You see the paradox here. None of the rest dared join them. This probably had something to do with the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, right? The word had gotten out that you can't take this God lightly. Right? The word had gotten out that this God had spoke with authority and Ananias and Sapphira for lying had been struck dead. And so they were, you know, probably a little hesitant to, to, to join, to jump in. But what we see in this passage is that there's a difference between nobody wanting to join them and nobody daring to join them. This is not the locals simply saying no thanks. So it begs the question, do people know that you take God seriously? Do people know that you take God seriously? Do your coworkers know that you take God seriously? Not because you're a prude, right? And not because you're a jerk to people that aren't Christians. They don't need you to be a jerk. They need you to take God seriously. They need for the gospel to have a governing influence in your life. Do people know that you take God seriously so that none of the rest dare join them? But at the same time, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Now, that's an interesting phrase. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord. It doesn't mean that they were like physically added to the Lord as though the Lord was, was incomplete without them. Right? This is not a you complete me moment. Um, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is that they were converted. Maybe they, they had been afraid of God, not daring to join the people of God. And then they became aware of the gospel, that none of us deserve to be a part of God's family, that we must be adopted in. And they, like all believers, they came by faith. They moved from fear to faith, not because God became less holy or threatening, but because his love in Christ became real. So let me just ask the question, have you been added to the Lord? Have you been added to the Lord? Have you repented of your sins? Have you turned to Christ in faith? Have you been baptized to display to a watching world what you believe? That's what we're seeing happening here. People are being converted from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And the brevity of this passage should not lead us to think that people were simply or quickly believing because of the signs and wonders. This was a process for many of them, right? Throughout the book of Acts, signs and wonders authenticated the word. They were being discipled. The impact of the word was spreading. They were being baptized and many were added. So much so that in verse 15, Luke describes it. He says, so that even they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick uh, and, and those uh, afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. The prize for ministry is more ministry. It's, it's like when your boss says, hey, you've done such a good job. I'm going to give you more work, not more pay, just more work, right? 
That's kind of what we're seeing here. They performed these signs and wonders, and, and, and by the power of the Lord, people came into their fellowship and under their care to the tune that Luke's descri- Luke described it as more than ever. More than ever. Friends, as I look at this upcoming move for Catalyst Church, I believe we're going to experience something like that. More than ever in the history of Catalyst Church, we're going to see the Lord move. We're going to see the Lord move. We're going to see people get baptized. We're going to see uh, people come in and get, get connected. It's got this flywheel effect, growth beginning growth. Do you really want more ministry is what this text is asking us. Are you praying, God, let me see revival. Now, let's, let's hit pause and let's ask the question, what about Peter's shadow? That's kind of weird, right? They, 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 so that even Peter's shadow might get a, um, like help. What, what's that all about? Now, notice that the word doesn't say that Peter's shadow healed anybody. It just says that people believed that his shadow healed people. Imagine Luke writing this to Theophilus. Theophilus is either a non-Christian or that Luke is trying to persuade to become a Christian or he's just become a Christian and Luke is trying to strengthen and encourage him. He says that you may, he writes that so that, so that he may have certainty. So, so Luke explains this was the impact of the influence that the local church had. People were drawing so near that, man, if I can just get in with their fellowship, if I can get a, just get a touch of them, if I can just get near them, man, it would have a saving and a, a, a powerful influence on me. You've probably done this with somebody you admired. Can I just get some time with you? I just want to be around you. I just want you to sort of rub off on me, so to speak. But again, it's asking us the question, do you have a reputation that suggests your gospel is really that powerful? Do you have a reputation that suggests that your gospel is really that powerful? Or do people think you just take God lightly? Peter says in one of his letters, he says, we need to always, Christians, we need to always be ready to give a defense for the reason, for the hope that is in us to anyone who asks about it. Uh, the question is, is anybody asking you? Is anybody asking you about the hope that is in you? Is anybody asking you about the hope that is in you? So let's look at the source of the church growth in verses 15 and 16. It says that, that all of the powerful people and those who had their lives all together and had lots of money in the bank and, and lots of influence in the community came to the church. And then say that. Doesn't even come close to saying that. It says those, the sick, those afflicted with unclean spirits. What I found in the church is that we often want to minister with people that we don't need to minister to. We want to minister with people that we don't want to minister to, that we don't need to minister to. The problem is that, one, those people don't exist, and two, that would disqualify you and me. If I told you that the Lord Jesus Christ intended to use you in mighty ways, more than you, way beyond your wildest imaginations, if I told you that the Lord, intend, the Lord Jesus intended to use you in mighty ways, would you want it? If I told you that it was going to be among the most needy and poor and outcast in your neighborhood or your school or your community, would you still want it? Would you still want it? That's what we see. In Acts chapter 5, we see God performing his goodness through the local church. God doesn't just tell us to sit back and watch as though we're the JV team watching the varsity team play. God invites us. He even commands us to participate. Do you see this powerful and beautiful picture of the local church? The sick and those afflicted adopted into the family. They were added to the Lord. The local church of Acts chapter 5 is for us a sign and a wonder that we are meant to see. And yes, let us be in awe of such a church that loves sinners and let us go and do likewise. But first, let us realize that we are the sinner 
who's been loved by the bridegroom of the church, Christ himself. Look again at that passage. And they carried out the sick into the streets. And they brought with them the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. When we see that sick people were healed, our first thought should not be, who can I heal? Our first thought should be, that means I can be healed. You're not the savior. Hate to burst the bubble, right? You're not the savior. You're the sick man, but you can be healed. You can be healed. You can be added to the Lord. You don't need Peter's shadow. You need only the cross and the empty tomb of Christ. So have you come to him? Have you come to him? We come this morning to the communion table in which we remember the Lord's death and his burial and his resurrection in our place. We eat the bread remembering that Christ's body was broken for us. We drink the juice remembering that his blood was poured out for us. We come to the table as a reminder that we have come to the Lord, not in hopes of a passing touch of Peter's shadow, but in confidence of a lasting touch of Christ's death and resurrection, which can be ours by faith. So let me just ask you again, have you come to him? If you've never come to Christ by faith, why not this morning? Why not this morning? You simply say to him, Jesus, here I am with all my faults, all my failures, all my sins. Here I am believing that you are a bigger savior than I am a sinner. Believing that your blood is sufficient for me. That you too might sing, you, my Lord, have saved my soul. I am yours forevermore. Friends, in just a moment, I'm going to pray and invite you to come to the table and get the elements and take them back to your seats. And then once we're all seated, we will partake together. We have a gluten-free option for our gluten-free brothers and sisters that need that. But we are, we are always glad to celebrate the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, as we remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ our King. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gospel. The good news that Christ died, not just for the sins of the world, but for my sins and for the sins of those in this room. The good news that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and on the third day rose again in accordance with the scriptures. And God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room that does not know Christ as their savior, you would do whatever it takes, whatever signs and wonders necessary to bring them to Christ. God, maybe even this morning as they hear the gospel explained, you might be stirring in their heart and they might say, today, today, Jesus, I come. Today, Jesus, I come. That they might come to the table for the first time as a believer. That they might come in faith. God, as we gather together this morning, as we come to the table, let us remember that we come by grace. None of us deserve this. None of us deserve this. We come because you have shown, shown us the greatest sign and the greatest wonder. Christ on the cross in our place, our substitute, drinking the cup of the wrath of God, bearing the full weight of the wrath of God in our place. So Jesus, this morning as we come to the table, may we come to you by faith. May we taste and see that you are unwaveringly good to us. And may we feast this day and all days on Christ our Savior. We pray in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen.